Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls. And this is the first time in a couple of years since I've been doing this podcast that I'm speaking to someone I haven't met before. It's a British singer and songwriter, Nick Mulvey, whose press person was kind enough to seek us out. And I'm very excited to talk to him because the lyrics in his records and the music he makes are very consistent with the kind of things that we've talked about here between about the balance of spirituality, day-to-day life, social consciousness in this crazy in this crazy world. He has a new album called Wake Up Now, which released worldwide September 8th, and it's got songs on subjects about refugees, about the protests at Standing Rock and the underlying issues, as well as uh, a lot of other complicated and interesting subjects that you don't always hear in rock and roll or in pop music. So, welcome. Thank you, Danny. Welcome, Thanks. man. Thanks for doing it. So, tell me, what what are the influences uh, as you were growing up and becoming a, an artist that, um, that got you um, defining uh, music and songwriting in such a broad sense? Most songs are about love, romance, heartache, and teenage angst. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for having me on the show here today. Um, I've been a fan for a while, and I'm a fan of what you do, and I'm a fan of the podcast itself. And um, I appreciate the the angle you take on sitting between rock and roll, pop music, and spirituality. Um, so I'm really happy to be chatting with you here today. It's a real honor. Thanks oh. for having me. I'm I'm delighted that you know about it, and so happy to to talk to you. So, so ha- having said that, um, wh- where do you kind of come from with all this? I mean, um, I'm a very intuitive musician, you know, a very very kind of instinctive one. So, as much as being brought up, um, the kind of musical furniture in my household was my parents' um, love of of the kind of '60s greats you know from Bob Dylan, Beatles, Joni Mitchell, um, Van Morrison, Neil Young um, so that was kind of like you know songwriting was, was kind of what I was brought up on um, Paul Simon became my kind of first place within first artist that I really kind of had these revelations that I knew what he was talking about. And what was the first album of his that that got to you was it Graceland? Because I it certainly was, hear some Graceland in your music. For sure, it's Graceland, and it was this particular lyric. It was um, um, this is the story of how we begin to remember. This is the powerful pulsing of love in our veins. After the dream of falling and calling your name out, these are the roots of rhythm, and the roots of rhythm remain. And I remember being about thirteen years old and just thinking, I know what he's singing about. Mm. And before that, um. Music had always been something where you, I, I would assume that I didn't necessarily know what they were talking about. So that was a revelatory moment for me um, that 
that you know I, I knew what he was I felt like I knew what he was singing about um, but I've always had a, a, a much broader exposure to music than just those um, just those influences um, there was a lot of African music um, around my growing up um, West African artists like Tumani Jibate and Ali Fakatore. Albums like the Buena Vista Social Club were big in, in, in my growing up. And I also loved all of the hip hop that my friends and I were listening to. Or we loved British bands like Oasis and Blur. I loved Red Hot Chili Peppers. I loved all the pop music that my friends were and I were absorbing. But I just loved music so much that I didn't stop. You know, I just, my appetite was not limited, you know. So, when I was age 15, my um, mum gave me an album, a Steve Reich album, mm. Music for 18 Musicians. Super famous, minimalist, incredible piece of music. And um, if I can be totally candid with you... Not a lot my, of pop melodies in Steve Reich. No, but he strikes the... He strikes so beautifully this um, balance between appealing logically to my mind and irresistibly to my heart. Right, right. Which all the music I love tends to sit somewhere in that balance. Um, and, it, you know, yeah, it, it was, yeah, that was game-changing for me. Um, I've always been a drummer, and I've always been a very instinctive drummer, and I, then I was a, um, a pianist. As my love of jazz music, of John Coltrane and Miles Davis. You know, I just kind of... I love the greats. I love greatness. I love, I'm fascinated by every aspect of, of great artists and their careers and their lives and their relationship with inspiration. And um, Bob Marley was a, you know, huge yeah, one. Yeah, I could definitely feel some Bob Marley, and especially in the lyrics and the way you were approach issues so you've got this song on the new album it's called my myella is that how you pronounce it exactly and uh it's it touches on the refugee crisis and i know you're also involved with an organization dealing with refugees it's such a compelling moral issue and so overwhelming to try to figure out how to live a, a, a life day to day and 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 be a responsible human being talk talk about Talk about these things for a minute, because I, I think it's such a key part of this next album. Yeah, I mean, um, well, writing this album as I did in the course of 2016, it felt impossible not to embrace some of these issues, you know. Um, but I kind of had this uh, this feeling of like I needed to do something, I needed to do anything to help, and um, I work within songs and I wanted to, um, I knew some of my work should be in, I couldn't flinch. I couldn't turn away from, from these issues. Um, but you know, for the last kind of, you know, since I, in my mid twenties, I've, I discovered Ram Dass and we can perhaps talk more about Ram Dass, you know, as we go. And, um, and he led me to, to your podcast and, um, you know, he teaches so much that, you know, the, the, the only thing you have to give is your state of being. And so, um, 
this album is in many ways about um it's about self-inquiry and self-understanding and i i look at these issues um these it was a part of my journey of self-inquiry to actually from my perspective to become outward and um and I, I knew i needed to write about this this subject basically um yeah well it's funny you know the as as you no, you know, Ramdas been a, a big influence on me and is the certainly the spiritual source of this work I'm fumbling along to try to do. And um, there's that balance between looking within to wh whoever we are really, and at the same time having compassion and an ethical relationship to the world around us. And um, how, how, I, there's no easy answer in terms of how to create that that balance. But I'm just I'm just curious when you say you were influenced uh, about, about how you've dealt with it. First of all, how did you come to Ramdas? I'm always so interested. You know, I'm such a child of the '60s, and it was so much sort of part of my coming of coming of age and his transformation mirrored so much of my own in terms of going from psychedelics to, to meditation, some other inquiries into ancient traditions. How, how did he get into your head? I think I really um, smiled when I heard Ram Das say that Maharaji is the fisherman and Ram Das is the bait. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, but that's the background. I mean, literally, the, the way I've, I discovered him was that um, friends of mine in the UK, a, 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 an artist and, um, yeah, an artist called Jamie Catto, who has um, made interesting films, and he, he uh, spent time with Ram Dass and um, was making a film about him. So through him, I, I think I kind of, I heard about Ram Das, and then I just went on to YouTube one day, and as soon as I heard one talk, it switched the light in me, and I just couldn't get enough. Mm. And I was really um, hypnotized by um, how articulate he, by his by his articulate words, by his way with words, and and just kind of immediately nourished by the. Um, intelligence with which he speaks and and and, and I, I needed um to hear what he talks about so um again so much of and and this title of this rock and rolls is based on something he's been saying for so many years about that we're souls not roles and to identify of our true self and you know all the meditation practices are trying to go beyond identifying just with the passing thoughts and the passing feelings to get to a to a more deeper uh some say eternal sense of ourselves but at the same time life is going on and you're making records you're dealing with a label you're dealing with the british music business and hopefully the american and rest of the world's music business you're dealing with the mechanics of having to create something that sounds good and satisfies yourself. You're dealing with budgets, you're dealing with the media, you're dealing with the launch of a record. 
Um, and, and I think a lot of people are, in their own lives are trying to, to create that balance um, to honor both parts of ourselves. You know, ha, do you have any uh, practice or any advice to give to people who are trying to balance these two things? Because it does sometimes seem to be a conflict. Yeah, I'm in the middle of it now, I would say. Um, so I don't know if I have um, any pithy advice, you know, other than, than just being honest about my own experience. You know, I, um, my own um, self-inquiry and my own practice, um, daily practice as a, as a meditator is very um, inseparable from my music, from my, from my creating. Um, and... You know, the, the act of being at the guitar is a meditation for me and mm. um, always has been long before I ever knew any ideas about meditation. And um, you're playing the guitar and that meditation really kind of um, is, the, is the central point for the, for the songs, you know. Um, the songs come from that. And so they, you know, I often think of myself as the first audience member, which is to say that I'm writing the songs, but I'm also like finding what the songs are about. And um, it seems on this album, I really need to talk about these spiritual ideas and, and these, this spiritual framework as a kind of um, the role it has to play in all these changing, um, in these changing times we live in. Um, and, you know, I mean, I have to, I mean, yeah, having a daily meditation practice is essential. Um, and in the times where, it, you know, it fluctuates and in the times where it slips is normally in the times where um, life can be overwhelming. And um, it's, it's one thing making music and honoring these um, urges and then another thing interfacing with the commercial world and, and selling it. Um, I haven't got all the answers to that right yet. Is 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 the honest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, me neither. Um, talk more though about about. I I feel I skipped over too quickly. The the crisis about refugees and sure. the way that you're plugging into that issue. It's um, I find it I, I, again somewhat overwhelming and confusing. And at the same time, I, I can only imagine what. Uh, families go through who are suddenly displaced and not knowing how to eat or where to sleep and fearing yeah. for their physical safety. Uh, you know, I, I get upset if uh, I stub my toe or, you know, so um, what, what um, talk more about, about, about the organization that you've been supporting sure. and, and how you're thinking about the issue and, and, and how we can, how we can be responsible human beings and still not get overwhelmed by the scale of the problem. I was kind of um, led to the song by something non-intellectual, by something not um, conceptual and no ideas. You know, I, I had a chord pattern, a, a, a series of chords, which were loosely speaking kind of quite Spanish quite, you know, flamenco type space. Um, and they moved, the, the, the chord sequence kind of moved into something quite North African. 
So overall, it was quite a Mediterranean feel, this song. And that's not unusual for me to kind of um, everything, you know, this wide ranging appetite of music um, leaves its mark and its influence on me. Um, but the melody line for this particular chord sequence was, was kind of intense. And every time over the course of the year when I was writing this album, I tried to write words to this melody line that were about my own life, my own, you know, um, pretty tame fears and scenarios or aspirations. Like they, the, the, the intensity of the melody line seemed to dwarf the, um, dwarf the, the, the words. So I kind of, um, I didn't want to let go of this chord sequence because it offered a very different color and a different space to the rest of the album, but I'd gotten all the way to the recording session uh, and I still didn't have the words for this song. In fact, I had everything else. I had the structure, I had the chords, I had the melodies, I had everything except for any words. Um, right at the end of the chord sequence, of the recording process, I took my band member, my, my musical collaborator, Federico Bruno to one side of the studio and I, I showed him this sequence and I said look I've got every element of this song but I just I don't have any words and I refuse to, to kind of give it up for this album and um, what do you think and I and I, I was we were in a small room just off the off the side of the recording studio and I shared this song with him uh, or this this music with him and he commented that it felt quite Mediterranean and from, it was like a light switch went on, you know, with that particular word, the Mediterranean. And I realized that this could be a space on the record to talk about this subject. And um, in fact, I really, then the sense of duty or almost obligation came with it, that, uh, that, that we must talk about this. Um, so we both hit upon the idea um, and we agreed that it would take some research and we shouldn't do it lightly. And in actual fact, neither of us felt particularly worthy to write our own poetry about this subject. I mean, what do we know firsthand experientially about that degree of uncertainty that the refugees must feel or, you know, who would we be to kind of presume to understand their experience? So rather than writing our own poetry about it, we put some time aside, we put a couple of days aside and we just met up and we did some research into the subject, particularly focused, focusing on first-hand accounts of refugees' journeys. Um, mostly there are these archives online on the UNHCR website. Which so so uh, forgive the interruption. So the music drew you into the subject matter? Is that... Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, so, that's, that's so cool. That's, that's a... Yeah, I mean, it's significant to me because I... I rarely kind of sit down and think, oh, what issue should I write about today? Right. It doesn't happen like that. I, I get immersed in my subject. I, it's, not a, it's not as much a kind of intellectual or mental process as that, you know, like I like to be led by the music to where I want to go. And sometimes the music leads me all the way, you know, like, um, and, and, in, and in this case, it's, it's, it's true to a degree, but then at a certain point we decided to, focus this, the songwriting on, on this subject. And that's what I've just described to you. And then we got down to the process and uh, we, we drew, we, you know, we, we felt like we needed to give voice to these, to these stories we were reading. Um, and we drew the lyrics of the song from these first-hand accounts, but we fictionalized these first-hand accounts. And um, I'm sorry, where did you find the first-hand accounts? Mostly on these archives of refugees telling their own stories of their own journeys, uh, mostly Syrian, often um, 
Sudanese and um, Eritrean, Ethiopian people, Afghanistani people. Uh, there's a whole archive of these on the UN HCR website. Mm. That's the United Nations cool. Refugee cool. Agency website. And it wasn't hard on, on you know online, just on, on YouTube to just look into Vice magazine documentaries mm. about um, the the refugee camps in Lebanon. Um, and we were just we were just like jot down things that we heard. You know, we we heard a a twelve year old boy from Nigeria say that he would rather die once in the sea than dying every day that he stayed back there. Um, it was devastating, you know, to to really hear that from from a child from a person so young. And um, gradually, this song came together. And um, you know, the the verses of the song seek to communicate with you these these. These these words, you know, they, they seek to engage your mind and and speak to you. Therefore, I felt it was important in the song to have some relief from that, and to to in in the chorus. Sorry, it was important in the chorus of the song to kind of break with that mental element and just have a chorus that was a bit of a, a release, an energetic release. The, the, so what I did is I just sung, I kind of sung whatever the melody line kind of wanted to bring forward. Out of out of inside of me, and it was the word Maella. And so, and what, Maella, is, what does that word mean? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying to you. I mean, initially, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's a sound that oh, fulfilled, wow that, that fulfilled a function at that stage in the song, which was to engage with your heart and not your intellectual mind, which had been engaged with for those verses and was would be re-engaged for the next verse to come. So, as a break from that. I needed an energetic space that just felt right, felt like the right energy. So it was a kind of cry, and I just sing out Maella, Maella, Maella. So I didn't know what it was initially. Again, I'm being led by the music to these moments. Now, since living with the song and recording it and, and, and performing it and living it, I have my own personal understanding that Maella means the mother. Mm. It means the mother. It means it's it's a cry of despair to to the mother in, in a broad sense, mother earth perhaps, or mother, mother goddess, mother, you know, who yes. else do you go to when, when you've got nothing else to, nowhere else to go? So for, for, forgive me if I'm asking you to repeat yourself, but so this word is sort of a word that just came to you. It's a new word. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so yeah. interesting. And, uh, and, uh, and you, you feel it's another name for the, for the mother of the universe, which, in essence so i read in your material you said there's a lot about this organization help refugees exactly and and uh talk about that well when it came to um releasing this the song as we did earlier this summer um i knew that i wanted to partner with um with an organization working in this field you know um a so any profits we can make from the song would go to somewhere useful um b to kind of help the song be understood out there in the world to kind of um for it to be most effective you know for it to be spread around you know through social media by people who are working in this sphere for it to you know it felt for a few reasons correct to collaborate with a partner once i made that decision Within the space of a week, several different contacts I have said, oh, you've got to meet the Help Refugees UK charity. So, you know, we, we've partnered on this song, Maella, with Help Refugees UK. And they're a really interesting, fascinating um, organization who started as a group of, of, of 
young Londoners uh, who in the end of 2015 um, felt the need to just go off their own backs to uh, northern France, to Calais, where these unprecedented camps of refugees, which has actually had been growing for some decades, were now reaching um, the size of, you know, of, of um, a small city and um, with, with all kinds of attendant um, uh, health problems. And, um, you know, the situation was pretty dire. And um, they were a particularly kind of um, organized bunch of youngsters who, who ended up, I think the story goes, they rented a, um, a uh, warehouse right nearby. And from that were able to receive, um, you know, uh, like aid for the refugees. And they became like unwittingly, they became this organization um, right on the ground working at the forefront of the refugee crisis, much more flexible and dynamic than the bigger charities and able to respond to, to needs as and when they happen, you know, to fight, you know, when the weather got warmer overnight, they needed, you know, 10,000 bottles of mosquito repellent. Right, um, right. So they were able to really be in touch with those needs on the ground. And they've also done, you know, increasingly a lot of political advocacy back in London, in Brussels, in Paris, working on, on, on the stagnation around the, um, the laws um, that would oblige governments to do more to support yeah. uh, refugees. So they have, they have a lot of different purposes and they were definitely the right match for us. In yeah, yeah. Are they affiliated with Amnesty in some way? Or, I'm not sure how to answer that because uh, they might be. Um, but I thought have, I'd, I thought I'd read that. It's no big deal. I just was curious if they were. Um, pass. I, I think yeah, they yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My 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 bad. So let's just talk. I want to talk about a, another a couple of songs on on the record before we talk about other things. And one of them that, that got my attention is uh, "We Are Never." Apart, which, which, as I understand it, was uh, inspired by the protest at Standing Rock here in uh, here in America. How how did that issue get to your attention, and and what's your thoughts about how to would what are you trying to get at? Well, I mean, um, I think through social media over here, um, you know, the the events at Standing Rock didn't feel particularly foreign um, or, or too far away. I felt. I was observing it right, you know, from all the way through, um, and still am in, in, in its own way. Yeah. Um, I mean, the background is is I have had a, a lifelong admiration for the, for um, uh, Indigenous America, yeah. I, you know, from from north to south, like a, a kind of love of the textiles, a love of of you know an enormous variety of cultural uh, expression and um you know that that chimes into a, a personal love of 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 sort of pre-industrialized um culture um where um a necessary harmony between people and their environment is um is maintained you know mm. um because of the the the, the greater the dependence pre-industrialized people would have on their natural environment, you know? Um, so, uh, and, and, and often you find within indigenous America, a, a worldview that places, um, a, a living spirit, 
um, very firmly at the heart of, of any perspective. And so, you know, I've, I've had a long love of that. I've had um, my own healings with ayahuasca and ayahuasca journeys in the UK and, and been very um, uh, deeply, profoundly moved and, and inspired by the healing traditions and, and their kind of uh, their their reaches across the world at this time. So that's the background. I felt very strongly, uh, we were you know, watching in horror as this militarized police force operated on the behalf of a corporatocracy um, and, and ruthlessly um, opposing um, these very, um, you know, uh, yeah, the, 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 the natural protection of, of sacred land. And, yeah. and, and, you know, a, a further chapter in a long story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, but then, you know, I, I was also astounded by the actions of the water protectors and I was particularly moved by this, uh, by the presence of, 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 um, native groups in, in, in the, in the role of protest. And I think it, it does relate to, um, things that I've heard Ram Dass talking about, you know, where he talks in, in his famous book, Be Here Now, there's one page about, um, the, the, the dissolving of a sense of us and them, you know, and, right, um, right. and, and what, what is the role of protest in, a, if, if there is no sense, if there's only us, Right, you know? right, uh, and I think that was reflected in Standing Rock in in the the evolution of um, the word protest into protectors. You know, they're water protectors. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Standing Rock was a complex event on many levels, and, and on one one level, it's it's about uh, just standing up in an age of climate crisis to um, the retrograde forces still committed to fossil fuel extraction. Um, so it, you know, it, it, it contained that, um, as, as well as then the, the continual trampling on indigenous rights, indigenous, um, sacred land. So, you know, I was, I was deeply moved by it. Um, and, um, this song is really about the, is influenced, you know, by Standing Rock, but also by these teachings from from people like Ram Das, like Osho, um, spiritual teachers. And the song really, it's called "We Are Never Apart," and it's about the mentality behind our decision, uh, our ability to destroy our environment and destroy ourselves. It's so interesting to me the relationship between Britain and, and the U.S. Uh, I'm thinking about it a lot. I, I uh, you know, I have a house in the country that was built in the 17th century before the revolution. I think about both the Native Americans that were living there and the uh, the events that happened then. And, and of course, in recent history, there was a lot of people that thought that sort of the Brexit vote was a, was kind of somehow mirrored by what happened here with Trump's election. And then and then there's some encouragement we we, we Americans get uh, from from your last election, seeing a change in the balance, I, I'm I'm not asking you to uh, delve into politics, but I, I I'm in terms of consciousness, there does seem to be these forces between uh, you know hope and fear that um, go back and forth, and there is some uh, shared culture that we have, not only the same language. I mean, what 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 is as a as somebody who's sensitive and tuned in 
how do you sense the balance between those 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 forces and and how uh, how can one most put their energy into the positive side because there's so much uh, anger here in America by people that are not happy with our government and uh, I empathize with it especially because of the suffering of certain groups but on the other hand anger doesn't seem to usually change things for the better but neither does passivity so I'm I, I'm, I'm just curious from a British point of view how, how you're looking at the balance between these things because there are a lot of similarities within the two societies. I would say that whilst the uh, the nuances you know are really interesting, meaningful, and we can talk about them between you know the British perspective and the American perspective, I would say the general gist is, is that in this age, in this age of connectivity and um, immediate information. Um, I don't feel the boundary too much fundamentally, you know, like Trump coming to power feels like it's happening for all of us. Right. Um, you know, uh, I think, I think we're all kind of like galvanized, you know, I mean, I know climate change and, and mm. does tend to affect um, some parts of the world more than others does tend to affect the, the poor more than the rich but it is a global issue that involves all of us um i mean so i heard the other day um russell brand talking with al gore and al gore was talking about these different stages of of um of civil rights protests you know from women's liberation through to the civil rights in the 60s through to you know all these different stages and he was referring to them as the as the journey of the expansion of consciousness you know this is the um this is the manifesting of the expansion of consciousness you know we are um we are growing through all these through all this suffering this is this is our the, the, the growing pains of our re-understanding ourselves and our role in the world and, and in the universe. Um, yeah, and if one is committed to democracy, which seems to be, I'm not a great Winston Churchill fan, but I did like when he said that democracy is the worst form of government except all of the others. Um, if one's committed to a democracy, that, that means also that these sort of conversations have to somehow touch people uh, outside of, uh, you know, for want of a better word, elite circles. And not everybody's going to read Be Here Now. And not everyone is going to uh, be exposed to some of the things that you were exposed to growing up. But, but they're part of the community and they affect what happens uh, politically. And of course, over these last several decades that Gore and, and Brand were talking about, one of the things that has broadened some of these conversations is music, that music does seem to get into people's heads who may not read a particular book or you know, listen to a particular lecture or something like that. Um, and I, this is a weird turn in the conversation, but... Again, I, I'm uh, somebody, you know, I get these emails from your press guy of different uh, articles about you and your bios. And, and, and I noticed in there that you had had a dream where David Bowie came to you. 
And <laughs> one thing about David Bowie was he had a gift, one of many things about him, but one thing that's relevant to what I'm thinking about is that he had a gift for figuring out how to reach huge numbers of people with certain ideas and images. And certainly when he was, when he was first emerging in the public eye uh, with um, uh, blurring the lines of sexual identity and, and so on, it was quite radical and it became completely, you know, quite normalized in, in Western society within 15 or 20 years. What, what did the, uh, Talk about the, your feelings about Bowie pre and post Dream. Well, I mean, um, I mean, you know, growing up, um, he's such a cultural icon and a part of the landscape that I, I was well aware of him, but really only began my own deeper relationship with his work and with his art uh, since his death, so right. very recently, um, and. I had a dream the week after um, my son was born. Mm. So it was very heightened time, you know. Um, I, I wrote this album, Wake Up Now. And your son, your son was born, uh, what, two years ago? or uh, Almost a year ago. Oh, just one year. Wow. Yeah, this was last September. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, he's an angel. Yeah. And... The yeah, so this album was written in parallel with my wife's pregnancy, and um, a week after he was born, um, I had this dream. And, and because you know, you were, we were waking quite a lot through the night with this newborn, um, the dream was fresh and vivid in my mind, and I was able to reach to the laptop and type it all out. And um, um, the dream was kind of uh, part of a, a broader catharsis of, of creative release that was kind of triggered by um by by the birth of my son you know part of it's quite practical about the late stages of the pregnancy when you make no plans and then you make even less plans and you're just at home being very manual i was serving uh, my wife and this baby to become and i've relegated my album and my writing to a very second priority which in actual fact was a good was a, was good for good, the art, probably. Really good for the art, you know. It took it. It took. I got rid of my obsessing about it and my interference with it, and I was just cooking and I was washing. And then whilst I was, I'd be hanging out the washing or whatever, I'd realise some really insightful thoughts about how I'd been perhaps limiting myself or uh, creatively, or new lyrics would come. So, and then the baby actually was born, and um, I would be ninety nine percent focused on 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 the baby, but uh, in the brief five minutes per day I'd have anything else to do, I'd write half a song or something. So it was a very heightened time. And um, I had a dream where David Bowie um, more or less showed me on, on the guitar exactly where to place my fingers. Um, it was a really vivid, surreal dream. I was at, I was at the, the back door of my parents' house um, in Cambridge in England where I grew up and someone sort of called to me over my shoulder and I turned and it was a kind of low era David Bowie um, in a fuchsia pink shirt with big buttons um, and as I turned to him I realized that I was holding this uh, this ukulele and I was playing this this riff that I had it was a riff that I, I have I, I has become part of the album and I was very pleased to see that, that this, this this David Bowie of my dream was amazed by this music that I was making and he was warmly kind of um, affirmative of this music and I thought to myself I remember thinking shit David Bowie's like digs my my, my riff and, and he I remember him saying to me this is ancient 
it is ancient um and um he then encouraged me to to um to, to transfer the riff from the ukulele onto full guitar shapes guitar chords you know which then um to, uh, you know the next day I, I duly did and um and it triggered an outpouring of 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 um of of music and of creativity for me so you know um who knows how these mysterious things work definitely on one more material plane i can see that um my subconscious needs to speak to my conscious mind in 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 these images and and and, and it was the david bow of my psyche uh, i would you know beyond that i'd be interested to see to talk with a widespread of artists uh, as to um how these artists like David Bowie or perhaps Prince have affected artists through their dreams mm. before their deaths or indeed after their deaths. And, um, you know, there is such a thing as, as these subtler realms and, and, and the astral realm. And, um, who knows how, uh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, one of so, my one of my favorite spiritual teachers is named Bernie Glassman. He's a Buddhist, uh, you know, and he and Ram Dass. There's a couple of videos of the two of them speaking, and he created something called the Zen Peacemakers Order because he wanted to bring uh, social consciousness and compassion to Buddhism. He had been trained in Japan and all the Buddhist traditions, which I'm not that knowledgeable about. And and the first tenet of his form of, of Buddhism is called not knowing, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and he, he developed this idea in conversation where he started to say always, in my opinion, you know, he, he wanted to keep open the idea that he didn't know everything. Very uh, so uh, it's a helpful, helpful sometimes, particularly in show business. So the album's called Wake Up Now, uh, before we end, uh, how do you wake yourself up? Any advice on uh, how we can all wake ourselves up? Because I, uh, I, I spend all my time uh, forgetting and then remembering, and I would prefer to remember more and forget less. It's, it's funny, you know. I mean, on, on one level, it's a ripening process of which you kind of have no control. Right. Um, so, so acknowledgement of that and surrendering of that. Um, uh, it is an act of self-love, um, and so this album, you know, I'm aware that it, within the title "Wake Up Now," people could hear a kind of command, and within a command, they could possibly hear a criticism, and 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 like that unnerves me slightly because that's not where I'm coming from with it, you know. Um, the degree to which anyone else wakes up, or the speed of anyone else's awakening, I kind of aware like has nothing to do with me, or you know, it's not something. Um, I, I, I would rush or anything. Um, so, but I, I do see that so many of these of these very disparate and complex global issues um, seem to have a common cause, which is you know um, a, a lack of self knowledge. You know, it seems to be so far and few between today that people are really talking about understanding that we are not this body and we are not these names we are not these roles we are not these these labels and and um you know although though we are those things they're relatively true they're constantly shifting and and, and um yeah we're not only these things we're not only those things exactly and that's really meaningful and, and i just think that 
the more people can spend time accessing, touching, feeling what it is you are beyond those labels and, and um, through meditative means, through playful means, through, you know, the, the more we're going to touch the, 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 the joy that has no opposite, as Eckhart Tolle says. And the more we experience the joy that has no opposite, the peace that is our true nature, the more we will make our actions from falling ever deeper in love with this experience of being embodied and being alive. And, and, and then we'll be making our actions from a place that doesn't add to the, to, to the problem, you know? I mean, that's again, me coming back to Ram Dass saying, the only gift you have is your state of being. If we act towards doing what we can in our lifetimes um, to counter climate change, for example, out of a sense of guilt, then we're going to be still inhabiting this 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 mind frame that that is actually where the problem came from in the first place. So we have to the work has to be on ourselves, you know. But people often think if I say that the best thing you can do to counter Donald Trump is to be honest about the Trump that lives within you, mm. it sounds like quite a passive thing. Mm. But that's the mistake that we're evolving beyond right now because to really every day in every action and in every interaction between people constantly be aware of, of, of your desire to self-protect or to, to take or to, you know, or any actions you do born from an identification with a limited self. Well, I really appreciate that. And I think that's a pretty as good a way to end as as any. Um, I, uh, I missed you when you were in New York. I was in California and I know you got a UK tour and all that. But if you get back to New York, I hope someone will let me know. I'd love to I'd love to see what you do in person and and meet. We'll get the days to you and you'd be very welcome to come to the city. Yeah, yeah. Well done, man. I'm so I'm so uh, so excited to talk to you and uh, admire so much uh, the music, you know, because at the end of the day, the music is what drives all this. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. God bless. Thank you, Danny. Later. Cheers. Cheers.